0: Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, February the 22nd in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we'd like to take a look at a reading for the following Sunday, which is the second Sunday in Lent. I want to give you a little explanation of how I write my sermons For a number of years now, I always begin with a question that is difficult for the congregation to answer. They're not really sure of what the answer is. And that's because there's so much in the Bible that seems to contradict other parts of the Bible. And sure enough, we're finding them in our readings for the second Sunday in Lent from Genesis 17, Romans 5, and Mark 8. Now, I'm leaving Romans 5. That's going to be the sermon I'm preaching on, but I want to go over Mark chapter 8 in our broadcast this morning. And each of them have a statement that seems to contradict what we believe as Christians. In Mark 8, This is where Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Some said, Well, John the Baptist, others Elijah, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Until you get to the next verse, verse 30. Would you put this verse over your church doorway? and Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, if that doesn't seem to be a contradiction to the Christian faith, we, we we tell people when we go through like catechism class, and what I'm going to be teaching you now in catechism class is something that you can't tell other people. That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? But you could say, Would you agree with Jesus that to tell others that he is a Christ, that they should be strictly charged to tell no one about him? Well, you can't say you disagree with Jesus, because anytime Jesus says something, it's absolutely correct. So, how do we understand this verse? And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, the way that we discover how to answer what appears to be an apparent contradiction is by permitting the great reformation principle to take place. Scripture interprets scripture. What does that mean? Well, when you read a verse like this, you'll either get an explanation from the immediate context or maybe from the entire book. In this case, it would be Mark, the gospel, or from the New Testament, or from the entire Bible. So, for example, in the Garden of Eden, it says that a serpent tempted Eve. People believe that that's the devil. The trouble is, he's not mentioned as the devil in Genesis in fact, he's not mentioned as the devil anywhere in the Old Testament. So how do we know that that, that was the devil who is in the form of a serpent? We find that out from the book of Revelation, where it's very clear that that serpent is referred to as Satan himself. So you got to go all the way to the end of the Bible to understand what Genesis is talking about in regard to that serpent. Now, we don't need to do that with this particular verse. And he strictly charged them to tell no one that he was the Christ. Why? Well, verse 31, which is following this, helps us. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after 3 days rise again and he said this plainly now this is very important to understand that particularly in the gospel of mark jesus does begin to teach the disciples about he who he truly is but didn't Peter kind of know that when he said, thou art the Christ? Why would Jesus say, don't tell anyone that I am the Christ? Well, I'll give you this example. After being at a congregation for decades, I left, began working with Concordia Mission Society and now I go around and am kind of an interim pastor at various congregations. I've done about seven of them in the past few years. Now, when I left my former congregation, there were people who were not happy to see me go because they did enjoy the Bible studies, the sermons, etc. And what if one of my members said, you know, we don't need a Roman Catholic Pope because Pastor Baker was a Pope for us. Now, what would I say to that person? I would understand what he meant by Pope. Not somebody who's inventing teachings that are not in the Bible, but someone who Led and guided the congregation from a law and gospel perspective and preached Christ and Him alone. But nobody would understand that because the word Pope, when you hear that, immediately you think of the Roman Catholic Pope, uh, work righteousness, purgatory, praying to Mary, etc. This is what Jesus was facing when, well, Peter said, you are the Christ. In that day, the title Christ was not known by many people properly. They consider the Christ to be someone sent from God, not necessarily God himself, who would come and get rid of the Romans, restore Jerusalem and Israel to its former grandeur. And boy, feed a lot of people like 5,000 at one occasion, 4,000 at another. In other words, they looked forward to what? A bread king rather than a spiritual king. So Jesus had to teach his disciples, don't tell people that I am the Christ Because many of them have that understanding of Christ that is inappropriate. The true Christ, which I am as a Son of Man, and he continues in verse 31 he's teaching the disciples something of which they were unaware of, even though what he is teaching them is found throughout the Old Testament. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And verse 32, and he said this plainly. Now, to the disciples who had been going around with Jesus for three years, they were not looking forward to his death. In fact, what did they do? when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They all fled from him. And at the cross, only John was there, the rest of the disciples hiding in an upper room, which Jesus went to them the night of the resurrection. The point I'm trying to make here is the reason Jesus was saying, don't tell people that I am the Christ because they're going to get a wrong view. We we know from the reaction of the disciples when Jesus was crucified, this was not what they were expecting. Can you imagine being one of those disciples with the many people on Palm Sunday, rejoicing that here comes the one who's going to deliver Israel from the Romans, restore people to their former ways of great living, and so forth. And then, on Friday, he gets buried. That's a shock to them. And that's why he begins to teach them in verse 31, that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Now, the term Son of Man comes from Daniel where Daniel has a vision of God the Father as the Ancient of Days, and he calls the Son of Man forward to go to earth and redeem people. And it's very clear that the Son of Man is also the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ. So in Daniel... Jesus is sent to the world in order to save the world. The disciples were unfamiliar with many passages in the Old Testament that would be applied to the Son of Man, namely Jesus the Messiah. The the word Messiah is the Hebrew word for the Greek word Christ and means anointed one. Jesus was anointed by the Father to come into the world and take our sin upon himself. Now, that should have been obvious to the disciples when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptizer. That was not a baptism where you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That didn't occur till Pentecost. This was a baptism of repentance. And remember, John the baptizer even was arguing with Jesus. You don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus responded, no, this needs to occur so that righteousness will be fulfilled. In other words, by being baptized in a baptism of repentance, Jesus was now Consider by God the Father to be the sinner of the world with all the sins of everyone, past, present, and future upon him. This is why God the Father spoke from the cloud at his baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, a, a similar statement was made by God the Father at the transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And therefore, when we read the Bible, we find Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. And there were only a few people who understood the true mission of the Christ. We've got Simeon and Anna in the temple. And remember the woman who, well, she kind of washes Jesus' feet with expensive perfume and dries it with her hair. Jesus says, she was doing that in preparation of my burial. And there were a number of other situations where people did understand the true mission of Jesus Christ. But it was not that apparent to certain people. excuse me, like Mary and the disciples. She was pondering all kinds of things in her heart. So Jesus is talking about that he is the Christ, but then he explains to the disciples what that means, that he's going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Now, those were part of what's called the Sanhedrin. And I'm sorry, the Sadducees. The Sanhedrin was the Supreme Court. The Sadducees were a group like the Pharisees, but there was a difference between them. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. The Pharisees did. And it was the Sadducees who were the ones responsible for making sure that Jesus Christ was crucified. So Peter, not knowing what Jesus is saying, he says to Jesus, he begins to rebuke him that he's saying he's going to Jerusalem in order to be killed. But in front of the disciples, verse 33, Jesus rebukes Peter. And what does he say? Get behind me, Satan. Now, does that mean that like the serpent was really Satan, that Jesus was, that, I'm sorry, Peter was really Satan? No. It means that he was being motivated by Satan, to say these things. I mean, didn't he know in the Old Testament, Psalm 22, that the Messiah is going to be pierced in hands and feet? And of course, that was written at a time when the crucifixion didn't even exist. But it did exist at Peter's time. And then you got, boy, passages throughout the, the Old Testament, talking about the suffering of the coming Messiah, anointed by God to become the Savior of the world. Uh, Take a look at the Isaiah passages. He was whipped in order that he would suffer for our sins. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, Now think about that that upon Jesus all of our sins were laid, so that when he died on the cross, he was pained for our sins. Now, why did Jesus say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan? Jesus explains that, and that's also in verse 33. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus himself says much like that in a number of places in the Bible. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. Because he's talking about the spiritual kingdom of the Holy Christian Church, which he is bringing in through his ministry of repentance and preaching the gospel. So, This gives us an understanding of what we are doing when we sin. Because think of the word sin. What's at the center of it? The letter I. When you sin, you're thinking of yourself. What's in your self-interest? And that's why sin is always a form of pride. And what's at the center of pride, the letter I. What Peter is doing, he had concocted a vision of the Messiah and the Christ. He had seen Jesus do tremendous miracles, healing the blind, exorcising demons, feeding 5,000 people. So one can understand that Peter would consider that that ministry would continue and to hear that the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to be put to death. It's almost like he didn't hear the last part when he says, and this is Jesus, not only will I suffer many things and be killed, But after three days' rise again, we know the disciples heard it, but they didn't understand it. Because on the third day after the crucifixion, were they all waiting in the upper room singing hymns of joy, knowing that he would be raised from the dead? No. They were in total despair. So... This is important to understand when you read a part of the Bible that seems to contradict other parts of the Bible. Do not be deceived. There are no contradictions. And instead of what appears to be a contradiction, it is explained by allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. Jesus is now teaching his disciples something of which they were unaware of. And that's why he says, do not tell anyone about that, because people didn't have the proper view of the Messiah. That kind of statement is also made at the transfiguration. Remember, after the father says, listen to him, both Moses and Elijah disappear from the scene and only Jesus remains. He's the only one to be listened to. But he tells his disciples, you know what you just experienced? Don't tell anyone about that until after I have risen from the dead. That means they would begin to understand. And that teaching process had to continue even after some were told that Jesus had risen from the dead. I'm thinking of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They meet Jesus, but they don't recognize him. He is hidden from them. And they wonder, you haven't heard what everybody's talking about? That the one we were following, this Jesus has died? And and now we hear from some of the women that they saw him risen from the dead? You see, there's no understanding there. They're totally confused. How does Jesus teach them? He goes to the Old Testament books, and he begins to quote to them verse after verse about how the Savior, the Promised One, the Son of Man, the Christ, will come to suffer for the sins of the world and thereby pay for the sins of the world. Now, what comfort is that to those who believe in Jesus? Take a look at every other religion in the world. How are you saved? You're saved by your works. And every other religion outside of Christianity has things you have to do, and if you do them properly, then God will not only love you, he will then save you. But what a burden that is, because the more you read the Bible, the more you recognize how truly sinful you are. Jesus mentioned that in the Sermon on the Mount, that the sin of murder doesn't occur just by a violent act against someone, it also occurs when you have a bad thought about them or you say a bad word about them. So we sin by thought, word, and deed. Jesus came and paid for all of those sins, and he did that while we were still his enemies. We were still his enemies? Yeah, that's in the Romans 5 passage, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So, are we to do good works? Absolutely. But do we do them in order to get saved? Absolutely not. Because you can't even do a good work until you have faith in Jesus Christ and are totally saved. All other so-called good works are really out of self-interest, only in the interest of Jesus Christ, motivated by his love for you, by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension, are we enabled to do proper fruit of the Holy Spirit. And and that's why the hymn for this particular Sunday, the second Sunday in Lent, is Lord, thee I love with all my heart. And we're talking about the new heart that is created by God. Now normally we do the hymn on Tuesdays but pastor Mark Smith has a funeral this Tuesday so we're going to have another subject we're talking about and instead we'll do the hymn on Wednesday with pastor Mark Smith if you would like to write me about a question go to law and gospel at law and gospel 101.com and we may try to answer it either Tuesday or open mic Friday. Until then I'm Pastor Tom Baker God bless you.